The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the news, advice, techniques, tips, and strategies you want to use to grow your financial independence through real estate investing. A couple of little real life real estate housekeeping things today. Uh, If you have not friended us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash real life real estate, go ahead and do that. Uh, We posted a video today of a uh, an inside tour of WMKV because so many folks are always saying, yeah, what's that like? What's what's that like at that station? That's a, it's like a giant station, right? That's like, that's like an awesome, huge, big deal, right? And it is. And in the video, you'll get to see the studios, uh, say hi to Mike and all the other folks here. That's facebook.com slash real life real estate. Uh, you can also there see the information about signing up for Laurel Langmeyer's one-day uh, class coming up in February. She was our guest last week and uh, got a lot of emails after the show saying, what's that Oria class that she's doing? It's on the, the sign-up information is there at facebook.com slash realliferealestate. Um, today is the very last chance to download Jerry Fink's contractor agreement that he offered on the show a few weeks ago. Uh, You can do that by going to askvena.com. That's askvena, S-A-S-K-V-E-N-A.com. And you'll see that there's a uh, form there that says, uh, if you want Jerry Fink's contractor agreement, download it here. We are taking that down at the end of the week to put up another cool something for you guys. But uh, over 200 people have already downloaded it and just want to give you one more chance with that before we take it down here at the end of the week. Now, today we're going to take a little bit of a turn away from real specific strategies and talk about um, the market because I have, I've been in real estate now for, um, I'm not going to say exactly how long because you guys can do math and you'll figure out my age if I tell you, but let's just say it's been over two decades and I have never ever seen the market uh, change as quickly as it has in the last five years. Obviously there was the big thing that happened in 2008 and then there 
uh, as was was some other stuff, and then things started changing again. And it's gotten to the point in this business where you pretty well have to be staying on top of what's going on in the market on literally a month-by-month basis uh, because we, we just keep slightly reinventing ourselves all the time to keep making money in this market. Here today to discuss that very big and important topic of like what's going on in the market right now and over the next few years is Mr. Eddie Speed. Eddie's been here on Real Life Real Estate Investing in the past uh, discussing his favorite strategy, buying and selling notes and mortgages. But today he is going to talk about uh, the research that he has done and the things that he is seeing uh, in today's market. Uh, Those of you who don't know Eddie uh, may not know that uh, Eddie has a two-year degree in in ranch management. Yep, he went to college to be a cowboy. And that actually worked out for him because he was in rodeos on and off for years and years and went to the world championship as an amateur but all that is now behind him and he is now the owner of colonial funding group and noteschool.com and is joining us today from his office in texas eddie welcome to real life real estate hello vena how you doing (laughs) i'm good how are you eddie i'm good um i just love that i get to mention that you were a cowboy yeah, when, you you've seen me do rope tricks and everything. Yeah, I have, I have. Yeah. It's fun. I'm glad you were able to bring that into your, you know, into your new business here. I say new. Yeah. You've been doing this for 30 years, I guess, or 30 plus years, and I know you've bought and sold, you know, li- literally hundreds of millions of dollars worth of notes and mortgages. And you you are uh, in in sort of the bigger real estate world. A lot of us are very plugged into the idea of the 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 properties, the houses, the house, the the apartment buildings, things like that. Uh, yeah. You you more look at things from the perspective of the economy and fine availability of financing, the type of financing that's around, and what are the big institutions doing, which does definitely affect the rest of us but we don't we don't tend to look at it from we're, we're looking at the house over on easy street while you're looking at what's bank of america doing this week yeah so th- it's a uh it's it's a pleasure to have you on i know that you've uh, given presentations on this over the course of the last year or so um tell tell me about sort of the 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 big picture market forces that are going to have the biggest impact on what we're doing as real estate investors over the next half decade? Okay. Well, I think to look forward, we've got to look back a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, let's talk specifically about residential property. Residential property was drastically affected by, you know, subprime lending. Subprime lending was just crazy. In 2000, Vena, you basically could borrow about 3.3 times your annual income. So that's how they qualified somebody, right? Annual, you know, that's how big of a mortgage payment you could afford. Your debt to income ratio. Okay, well that was 2000. 2006, you could borrow 9.2 times your annual income. So I guess that was the new math, huh? Mm-hmm. And so. They lost their minds. They made a bunch of loans they shouldn't have made. And we had this big uh, bust of foreclosures. And uh, 
and obviously in Ohio, you guys really were in the heart of it, clearly, um, and sold about four and a half million bank foreclosed properties in about a five year span. So that's the biggest, you know, wave of bank foreclosed property that's ever been. What's interesting, what I guess is more interesting, is who bought those houses and why they bought them. Um, okay, so I'm going to make a strong statement to you, Vina. Okay, had it not been for the crash of the stock market, we would have suffered the Great Depression. Interesting. Because the crash in the stock market caused stock market refugees to go seek alternative investments, and real estate became the primary target, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which put a floor on real estate values. Now, I know sometimes we don't feel this way, but I'm just saying on a national basis, we have no cheap, no idea how cheap property could have gotten. Mm-hmm. And so after probably the first couple of years, and Vina, this is what you and I have discussed offline a lot, you know, all of a sudden in certain markets, um, you know, d- d- real estate was cheap for sure, but it wasn't near as cheap as it could have been because there would have been no buyer for real estate. Literally, there wouldn't have been a buyer for it, period. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. financing wasn't available. So in the working-class property market, Vina, what changed real estate this time more than any other cycle you and I have ever seen in the past, and both of us come from generations from both family businesses that did this. So not just what we've done since I started doing it in 1980, and you must have started when you were two. (laughs) Yeah. Uh huh. So, yeah, in 1980. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I'm not saying you started in 1980, but I'm saying whenever you started, if you've done it for more than 20 years, you must have started when you were two, right? Uh-huh, we'll uh-huh. stick with that story. Well, yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah. Um. So, so, but in in our family businesses, as long as we've ever we grew up around these businesses and seen them and all that stuff, and we've never seen a market where houses weren't predominantly really affected by the affordability or availability of credit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what drives car sales, real estate sales, right? I mean, that has to be true every time, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this time it wasn't true. Um, about 35%, according to the National Association of Realtors, about 35% of all residential properties sold for cash in the, in the last four years. Now, what I suspect that the National Association of Realtors is doing is just taking specific listed houses that are, that are in MLS that they can track the numbers, and they've arrived at that number from that. Interesting, Goldman Sachs says the same market era, closer to 55% of all residential properties sold for cash. So Goldman Sachs clearly has taken unlisted properties that would have come in bulk from the banks as well. So, Vina, we can debate the rest of the hour about whether it's 35% or 55%. It's a crazy number either way, right? It's a very big number, yes. that's uh, Even the 35% number is more than twice what would be normal for cash purchases in a market. Exactly. And 
I can tell you from the perspective of somebody who was uh, still in the real estate market in 2008 and 2009, that if you didn't, if you didn't have cash at that point, there was no buying. I mean, you could not buy. <laughs> it was it was cash or owner financing. Those were those were your only two choices. And I think that uh, from the perspective of, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the private equity funds uh, after the break, who've had a huge effect on this because they've been able to raise massive amounts of cash. But from the perspective of the on the ground real estate investor who's just you know looking to looking in their own backyard to go pick up some bargains, everybody got used to private financing, owner financing, cash as a way of buying things, or they are not in business anymore. No doubt about it. Here's another interesting thing to think about, and I know we'll talk about this in the private equity space when we get into that topic, which is a topic I like to talk about, as you well know. Um, But the use of these cash buyers also is unprecedented in real estate. So these cash buyers – so let me ask you a question, Vina. You, you, you are um, as knowledgeable a person as I know in your market segment in working-class property. So of these cash buyers, if 30 let, – let's just make up a number. Let's split the difference, Vina. Okay, 42% of all residential properties sold for cash. We're going to split the difference between National Association of Realtors and Goldman Sachs, okay? Okay. So 42% of all houses sold for cash <laughs> – is the percentage of houses that are worth less than 100000 is that cash buyer percentage higher or lower than the overall average? Oh, much higher. It's going to be exactly much, much it's higher. It's, it's, it's crazy how big the number is. Mm-hmm. Okay, what were they doing with the house when they bought it? The cash buyers? Yeah. Oh, in that, in that price range, many of them were renting them. In fact, statistically, 2.6 million rentals more than there were in 2007. Wow. 2.6 million more rentals now than there were in 07. That is correct. So between between homeowners who couldn't afford to keep their houses and are now renting and people who are happy to rent to them because they bought themselves a house for cash, <laughs> there's, there's a blind demand thing going on there, I suspect. I went to... Uh, as you know, I go to a lot of conferences. So, you know, I went to a national distressed asset conference, which I go to several a year. And there were all these guys that ran the servicing shops for some of the big servicers. So the, some of the big name brand servicers and the, their top brass was on this panel. You know, and so the guys that serviced literally 500,000 accounts were on this panel. <clears throat> somebody said, somebody was talking about this whole generation essentially that has changed their buying habits because they're renting and and in the first time home buyer numbers literally are about half of what they normally are okay according to nar national association of realtors and you you got all these charts and stuff genus uh, venus so you've seen you use you've seen all this stuff that you know paints a pretty good picture of understanding the market but i think we can explain it well enough on the show and kind of zero in on some of the main statistics that we that we find interesting or we find the most meaningful 
And and so of all of these numbers, they, they were discussing these things on this panel at this distressed debt conference I was at. One of the guys made a statement. He said, America feels like the mortgage industry broke a social contract with them. Mm-hmm. And and so there, there's this whole belief system that a lot of people don't want to own now. They want to rent because they don't want to go through the pain of what they saw their mom and dad go through. Okay. I would agree with that. And luckily the banks are um, you know, less willing to let them go through the pain of borrowing money at all. So they shouldn't have a lot of a lot of problem avoiding that. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on in the market now. Why are house prices back up? What is going on with all these private equity funds that are coming into our cities and buying hundreds of properties at a time? And what does that have to do with you as a real life real estate investor? If you have questions for Eddie, give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and my guest today is Mr. Eddie Speed of Noteschool.com. Uh, Eddie is not here today to talk about notes. He's here to talk about the big overall housing slash finance slash economic world and what that is specifically going to mean for us as real life investors over the course of the next year, two years, five years. is the number to call if you have any questions about your feelings about what's going on in your local market, uh, what what you're seeing, uh, concerns that you have about how you might be investing off into the future. You can also send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. So Eddie, for the first 15 years of my real estate career, and I'm sure 30 years of yours, uh, the way the way real estate investors dealt with the world is was largely by interfacing with banks. <laughs> found yep. it, found a deal, and there was some bank some there somewhere that with 20 percent down and a ridiculous interest rate that you couldn't get as a fixed rate, uh, and more closing costs than you wanted to pay would in fact finance that house for you <laughs> on a on yep. a 15 or 20 year loan maybe. And then along came good old subprime, and and although everybody talks about how silly it was with homeowners, it was pretty silly with investors, too. I mean, we had these no-doc loans. You could walk into the bank, and if you could fog a mirror and show them a driver's license, they'd loan you 120% of what you were paying for the property, and you'd walk out with a check and for, for, for you know expenses or, re, or uh, uh, rehab or whatever you wanted. And... Then the pendulum suddenly swung drastically in the other direction, where there was just more inventory than we knew what to do with, but no bank money to get it with. And now it's it's five years post-crash, and we're in this this weird situation where the bank money really hasn't come back, but a lot of the inventory seems to have gone away. So what is what what is what is what has been driving this that we've not been directly seeing since 2008? All right, so here's some here's some stats if somebody wants to write some stuff down. Okay? Is that good? Mhm. So Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, 
private lender services and all FDI-insured banks. So that is pretty much institutional lending, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Their property count today is under 350,000, current inventory of bank foreclosed properties. Okay. So we've pushed just a tick under $5 million out the door. The foreclosure counts from the institutions is really, really low. So these banks, led by FHA, have totally changed their direction, and they're not foreclosing. They're packaging up these delinquent notes and selling them. Now, let me tell you this. That doesn't mean that all the problems have gone away, Vena. There's 10 million delinquent notes. Okay. Um, I, I know the government doesn't want us to know this, and I can tell you this because I know how expensive it is for me to go g- gather this data. I can go Google real inventory levels of real estate, and from 15 different websites in five minutes, Vina, if I could type that fast, and I can't, but <laughs> I could go find out the REO levels because that's wonderful if you're looking at, hey, all these bank, you know, the hangover, the all the bad lending is gone. It takes us a day and a half to update the data, to go pull all the data together on the delinquent note count. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 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 for folks who for folks who might be a little a little new to the industry, what you're talking about here is just two different stages of the same process, right? I get I get behind on my note. And then typically what would happen in a normal market is the bank would foreclose upon me, and if I did not pay them, they would take my property, and then it would be an REO. It would be a bank-owned property. And what you're saying is they're the, the, the big banks, and, and that includes the, the insurers and the secondary buyers like FHA and Fannie Mae, are just not going all the way through with the process of foreclosing, which doesn't mean I'm not behind on my note. Yeah, the incubation time, okay, let's just take Ohio, for example. It takes about a year to foreclose in Ohio, nine months to a year, depending on the county, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the incubation stage to foreclose. So somebody gets 90 days delinquent, the bank finally goes, okay, that's enough, we've got to progress with foreclosure. So figuring all in, it takes a year to, you know, a year and a quarter to foreclose mm-hmm. in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Ohio is... Um, you know, if you rank the states, it's in the top five consistently. Toughest states to foreclose in. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, uh, is that a fair statement? It's in the top twenty toughest states to foreclose. In. I, I would say it's probably in the top five or ten. Okay. I mean, yeah, you know, some of the East Coast states make it even tougher, but it it's 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 a pretty long process. It's here. a judicial foreclosure process, and it's lengthy and it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Okay, and by the way. Um, it's not healthy for the economy. I mean, there's a long, deep subject I could get into of why that's true. But if people just have defaulted, like they've abandoned their house, they've moved off, what benefit is it to make a lengthy foreclosure process? Mm-hmm. The cities and the municipalities are dying for the income of a performing house. It's paying city services. Anyway, um so what would have taken a year to a year and a quarter, now, Vena, we're looking at loans that are three to five years old, and they've not even foreclosed them yet. In fact, the truth of the matter is they haven't even initiated foreclosure on them. Mm-hmm. So there's this huge 
as people have probably heard the term shadow inventory out there of of these loans. And and we're not going to go resolve all these loans in a day or two. It's going to take some time. It's a it probably truly Vena is a probably a 5-year washout process still still yet to go. But the houses that were foreclosed on have been gobbled up in the market because of capital, and that capital has come from people that have abandoned traditional investments, which is basically the stock market. Here's a stat for you, Dina. So last year, last May, May of 2012, there was $9.8 trillion in cash. Mm -hmm. Literal cash, literal, that's my bank balance. uh, According to the Federal Reserve, okay, I mean, this is is where we got this, is from the Federal Reserve. So, Investment Company Institute. Mm -hmm. Uh, January 2014, there is $11.02 trillion in cash. Avina, that's more than a trillion dollar increase in uh, cash. And, you know, you, you've all heard the funny stuff about stats, right? Or people tell them about how much a trillion dollars is. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, so I could take... So so here's a, here's a good visual aid for you. A trillion dollars is... You could take a dollar bill and tape it end to end, and it would go from the earth to the sun. That's one trillion dollars. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... There's 11 of those in cash held in the market right now. Mm-hmm. And 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 what's important about that? I mean, why why why? Because because this is the new real estate business we've never seen before. These people weren't in, these people that have bought all these properties for the most part, Vina. They are not enamored with real estate. You and I are enamored with real estate. Mm-hmm. These people were enamored of getting out of the stock market. And I don't, I'm not trying to put a hoax or a hex or anything on the stock market, okay? Let's be absolutely abundantly clear. I hope that the guys that predict the market is headed for a crash, I hope they're wrong, okay? Mm -hmm. But it is fairly commonly predicted that there's a bubble in the market and it's it's up for a correction this year. Let me just tell you something. There's $11 trillion in cash that doesn't believe in the stock market. Mm-hmm. And that's despite a recession. That's exactly. despite the fact that, you know, people people lost a lot of money in 401ks, and, and you would think they would be out there, you know, not putting their money in cash but trying to make that up. This is despite the the stock market like what doubling in value last year or something like that you know yeah. <laughs> the, the 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 growth during last year is particularly important because a lot of people are are looking at the market reports the stock market reports and saying oh wow it's recovered this is great and usually that means people would jump back in but apparently they got burned once too often there there's 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 stat after stat after stat that said the average consumer is predominantly out of the market um you know there's they the american express the harrison group and usa today did a did a a search research project 
of people that make more than $100,000 a year and discovered they were currently holding $6 trillion in cash, uninvested. These are people that, you know, make more than 100000 a year. Well, here's what was funny about the, the, the report, not maybe not funny, but shocking, I guess. That number is projected by the end of this year to get to double, to go to $12 trillion. So there's a lot of people, and as you know, Vina, I've spoke at a lot of conferences that are like more economic conferences or stock-related events mm-hmm. because people are so intrigued by repositioning their portfolio. Most of these people that I speak to are, you know, are telling me that they're at least 50% in cash, meaning uninvested in the markets. And so the the big argument is, well, all this property has sold, and there's been a big lift in real estate values, okay, in the last 18 months. Uh, nationally, um, you know, we've seen over a 12% increase in values. So pretty much the belief is that we've bottomed out. In fact, some markets, you, you, you and I have discussed this, Vina, um, privately, some markets we are, we're we're fearful of. I spoke in uh, Phoenix at the largest RIA in the country last week um, at the Arizona uh, Real Estate Investor Association group, and a big audience, um, pretty sophisticated audience, and they their fix and flip market has really drastically been affected by the by the biggest monster coming in the market which is basically the Wall Street guys. We refer to them as the hedge funds. And they now have, in the last three or four years, totally dominated buying houses, uh, cash flow rentals, um, led by Blackstone, who has done almost 50,000 units. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a huge amount of them in the market. Mm-hmm. You know, the bigger names, Colony, Carrington, those guys. But what also has happened, and I think, Vina, you've seen this a lot in your market and all over Ohio and and the Rust Belt, and that is um, there's a lot of copycat hedge funds. So they're not Blackstone, the Colony, Carrington, but they're following their same investment model. And the reason is, is it's so doggone easy to raise capital. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so let's 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 walk through that. The these 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 big private equity funds that yes, we always call them hedge funds, even though they're not necessarily hedge funds in the way they're set up, uh is they 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 looked at what was going on on Wall Street and they were Wall Street guys. Let's let's be clear. Most of these folks came out of Wall Street before they were selling the shares in real estate companies, they were selling stocks i mean they they, they yep. some of them were probably selling those subprime mortgage-backed securities but we won't talk about that oh you don't think really <laughs> so so the stock market crashed at the same time of course that the real estate market did and for because of the real estate market and they were they were looking for a job i mean they <laughs> didn't have anything to do because people were pulling all their money out of the stock market and they identified that single-family homes were so cheap at that time I mean, I, there, there, there was a time when you could pick up a nearly rent-ready foreclosure in the working-class areas here in Cincinnati. That I mean, that you could paint and carpet and put someone in for ten or fifteen thousand bucks, and it would rent for six fifty, seven hundred dollars a month. And they, they were, they were smart enough to see that, 
And so they set up companies so that other people who didn't really want to buy or manage real estate could put their money in. And they would go buy houses with their money. And then they would give, you know, give the, the investors part of the return. So there's all, this, there's all this money sitting around looking for a place to go. And then there's these companies, many of them owned by my former stockbroker, if I was ever in the stock market and had a stockbroker, calling up and saying, well, look at this opportunity. And I gather a lot of people must have gone for it because, as you said, some of the bigger hedge funds are, are, are now the proud owners of tens of thousands of single-family homes all over the U.S., yeah, one of the one of the big conversations with with uh, people that run these uh, you know investment r- real estate investment groups around the country is all the guys came in the market and drastically changed values and availability of inventory. And I mean, you it, it was it was like a, it was like a revolutionary war almost. Okay, bam, they went to Phoenix. They bought up the whole inventory in Phoenix. Bam, they went to Atlanta. They did the same thing in Orlando. They did the same thing, you know, just, and they went in all these markets. And so the big conversation was, you know, well, yeah, they went in and bought all this inventory and stuff, but but they're not going to buy any more. You know, they're done. Uh, except there's an issue there. You know, they've raised about $10 billion yet uninvested. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Last I checked, they're probably not going to just mail the money back to the guy, right? <laughs> when they make fees and and percentages based on the capital they've raised, mm-hmm. you feel like they're going to just send their money back to the. <laughs> no, and and it's been real interesting to watch the the handful that I that I have had some contact with, and these have been mostly the smaller hedge funds. The the returns that they were projecting to their investors in two thousand nine and ten versus what they're projecting now. Yeah. Uh, they cannot show double-digit returns on these single-family rentals anymore because they can't buy them cheap enough because they raise the prices exactly. in, in these areas. They were their own competition. <laughs> exactly. And, and, of course, you know, Vina, we've lived through all these market cycles. The one thing I would tell you about doing this business, and and I know I'm seen, I'm seen as a note guy, I probably close more than 40,000 notes, okay? But the truth of the matter is, I bought a lot of non-performing notes and wound up in the real estate business. So I've done a lot of real estate. I mean, in the thousands. And so I'm really a real estate guy, too. I mean, you know, my collateral is the real estate when I buy a note, either performing or non-performing. So I'm most concerned about the stability of that collateral, and of course, the, the 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 idea today is people go, well, how can I win? Well, the ma- the magic today is finding out the fringe markets, and real estate investors have always been the fringe markets. We've never been the, the real estate investors that are buying houses at deep discounts were never the mainstream real estate guys. In fact, most of the real estate groups that I've spoken to, you know, the realtor population in the audience is typically fairly low. Mm-hmm. That's mainstream real estate. So we've always been a fringe buyer. You know, we're always have looking for the opportunity around the fringe. The good news is, if you can look at the market and and see what 
obviously has become a stability for working-class real estate values, then you can operate on a market-to-market. You know, what's funny, Vino, you were saying that while ago, and I was sitting there thinking to myself, you understood a value buy, and you knew that when you saw these working-class neighborhoods, and you could buy that house for fifteen grand. It went went for six fifty. You didn't need a calculator. <laughs> didn't matter what it was quote worth. <laughs> you knew that was a value buy, uh-huh. right? And you did really good at that. But that value buy is evaporating uh, because of this inventory. Now there's not there's there's still a huge inventory of defaulted notes, and interestingly, defaulted notes are a lot cheaper than the real estate because there's sort of a barrier to do the business to buy the defaulted note you really don't have in buying the real estate itself. I want to tell you, I want to talk about something else, though. You're in a state that your government, my government, our government, uh, has put up a huge amount of money to help defaulted borrowers, and it's not commonly understood Mm-hmm. In fact, when I spoke at the Ohio RIA back in early November, there was about 700 people in the room when I did kind of my state of the industry thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say that when I, I said, raise your hand if you're really familiar with this. So I distinguish it between maybe you knew a little bit about it or even heard the word and somebody that could kind of define what it was about. And, Dina, as I remember, there were less than 15 people that raised their hand. Hardest-hit funds. Hardest-hit funds was part of the TARP program, and Ohio is one of the 18 hardest-hit states. So they gave all this money to these guys through this state administration to cover hardest-hit funds. And um, that to date, they've of the seven point eight billion dollars, uh, they've only used one point six billion. Mm-hmm. Because so few people understand what they are or how to use. They don't them. know about it, right? Right, and uh, Eddie, we need to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to. Talk about the good news, like like exactly what should listeners be looking to do over the course of the next few years so that instead of competing with these people with zillions of dollars and apparently a bottomless hunger to raise the prices, particularly blow-in properties, we can go out and actually make some money for ourselves. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Eddie Speed, and we're talking about the big macro things that are going on out in the environment that are that you're, you're seeing them, but you may not understand what it is exactly that you're seeing. And between the fact that Eddie is from the South and, and talks a little bit like molasses and the fact that this is a topic we could talk about for two days, we are running out of time here. So, Eddie, let's, let's, let's talk about the good side. You just You alluded to it. A minute yeah. ago, because I mean, everyone's sitting around going, oh, my God, there's no inventory. I can't put, you know, every time an REO goes on the market, it's off the market in three days for more than they were asking. And plus, there just aren't as many of them. And, uh, you know, what's what's an investor to do? And, 
you you alluded to the fact that part of the reason the REOs are gone is because of the hedge fund snatching them up. Part of it is because the banks aren't putting them on the market, and that is because what again? They're not foreclosing. <laughs> and that provides an opportunity in that what? You can buy the delinquent notes. Okay. And with a with a with a good shot of either modifying them and and these hardest hit funds type programs, you know, give customers money to bring the loan current they would have never had. Um, if they vacate the property, you can get title to it by them just deeding it over to you. They've sort of abandoned, you know, they've abandoned the idea and they want to move on with their life. And uh, you know, you can legally repossess the property, but we're not. We're, we're trying. We're, we buy notes with the thought. We buy delinquent notes with the thought of resolution. We're trying to figure out what's a good fit for everybody. Now, you know, you can't live in a house forever for free. That's unrealistic expectation. So at some point, you know, there's got to be a resolution that all parties can live with. You know, mm-hmm. the delinquent notes are a big opportunity. Um, and performing notes are a big opportunity. You know, there's there's millions of notes that have been modified by the hedge funds and stuff like that that they've got to go sell. They they don't these are not thirty year uh, investment models. You know, and so they've got to go sell those notes in the market. Um, probably one of the coolest things you could do with a self directed retirement account is own a note. Mm-hmm. You could have a third third party service. You really wouldn't have to do with much work or have, have virtually no work other than just make sure it's a good deal. But once you get the loan at the servicer, they do all the work, manage it, and just wire you the money. Mm-hmm. So you can. So there's a great opportunity today in note-related things and and understanding note opportunities. You know that really tie to real estate. And I train a lot of really seasoned real estate investor guys now because the market's kind of forced them to reinvent themselves. But Vina, you've seen all this. Now, when they reinvent themselves and they kind of get over the initial shock of, oh, heck, I don't really want to do this, they love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the the thought process of the typical real estate investor is slowly turning toward the idea that the success is about the financing, whatever that means, whether that means buying defaulted notes instead of houses so that you can get the houses, whether it means buying defaulted notes to turn them into performing notes because what were you going to do with that house anyway? You're going to rent it, right? So <laughs> if, if somebody's paying you, that's good too. Um, providing financing when you sell yep. is, is is a huge thing. I mean, there's a huge market for that with all these banks, you know, still not being super friendly about wanting to finance properties for people, particularly not in the working class type of areas as as you describe them. Um, buying notes from people who have provided financing and now they don't want to own the note anymore. They want to sell the note and turn it into cash, which was maybe their goal in the first place. There, 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 there's so much to this and it's so important that, that folks maybe stop looking quite so hard at the real estate and look more at all of the opportunities available in financing. I believe it with all my heart. I, I, I've seen so many people that have kind of gotten frustrated with the real estate model that they were trying to do and were successful in other markets. And the market's changed a little bit. And, you know, if I can just get them to 
kind of embraced the idea of reinventing themselves a little bit and learning a little bit different card game, then all of a sudden I think the next five years, truly, I believe is maybe the best I've ever seen in my whole career since I started doing this in 1980. Mm-hmm. For those who have the sense to adapt. Now, Eddie, we got a couple of questions that I'd like to try and get answered here in the last couple of minutes of the show because I told okay. people we do it and then we spend all our time talking to each other. Uh, this one is from JC in Las Vegas. He said... I've heard Eddie say that seller financing exists and fills the void where conventional lending is absent or tight. In 2014 and going forward, where does he see the biggest void that seller financing can fill? And how does he suggest private investors look to get involved in that? Um, I believe that selling uh, cash flow rentals, loaded cash flow rentals with owner financing to out-of-state investors, where you have a management company that handles the management, they have a huge down payment that they would be willing to make. Average down payment is probably 35 to 50% down. And they, they're they stock market refugees. They're willing to pay a top price for the house. And I think owner financing is going to fill a very big gap in that market. And that is kind of like being a, you're being your own little hedge fund. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Question from Don in Canton, Ohio. Does Eddie think that there's any way that the little investor can play a role that adds any value to the private equity funds? What do we have to offer these guys that have all this capital so that we can profit from them? And is there any way that he would suggest about approaching them to work together? Um, A huge, uh, the short answer is, Vina, yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) And and a huge um, thing that we do in the, in our model here every day, and we live in Texas, but we buy lots of assets in your market, uh, as you know, because we run a national business. And um, there are there are numerous techniques that we practice on a daily basis, and we see our students, because we have this note school business, we see our students uh, practicing all the time, working with the hedge funds. And, and my one of my kind of my closing words about hedge funds would be this they're not the enemy we have to learn to work with them they have more capital than we do but they're willing to pay prices we're not willing to pay surely that's got to provide some opportunities right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very true a uh, comment here from Edward in Atlanta. Great point about the harm to the marketplace and communities that comes from unnecessarily lengthy and expensive judicial foreclosures. Uh, what implication do you think that the fact that HUD is gearing up to sell more non-performing loans might have on the market for bad loans and distressed real estate? Well, the people that are buying these distressed loans are buying them generally with the thought in mind of trying to reach resolution first they're not just they're not just saying we're going to foreclose and take the house they're trying to see what resolution can be accomplished and so we're going to see an increase in foreclosure activity as a result of them liquidating the loans but the truth of the matter is we're going to see an increase in occupancy of housing or somebody getting back online and reinstating and starting to pay again and starting to pay city services and i think that's what you know being in your market in in ohio that's what the people that run these municipalities are desperate to see and we need these houses back in uh back in productive states Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very true and with that eddie unfortunately our time is up but we 
definitely appreciate you coming on and helping to educate us about what is going on out there that we're, we're seeing it and not not quite getting what it's all about my um, guess it has been eddie speed from noteschool.com uh, we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing until then everybody have a great week and happy investing <laughs>